Alice Onlin and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello, listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Security Token Show. We are your hosts, Hurry Konings, and with me, as always, my co-host, Kyle Sondland. This week, we will be discussing tools to properly value a tokenized fund on the secondary market using the NAV value as our price anchor. And for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time to the show, it's important for you to know that our programming, that it is not an interview podcast, but a weekly industry digest, which kicks off with our Companies of the Week segment, where we pick our favorite companies making the biggest moves in the space, followed by Herwig's industry news update, the latest in security tokens and trading activity update from me, and then finally our exciting main topic discussion, which this week is about something I'm particularly interested in, which is secondary market valuation strategies. But before we get into that, let's get into the most exciting part of our show, the Companies of the Week. And Herwig, lead us off now. What is your Company of the Week for Episode 52? Well, Kyle, as many of our listeners know, I've been tracking the fast-growing security token country that is Japan, which I wrote an article covering its rise on our Medium blog, if you want to go check that out. And it's a great starting point for anyone who wants to get familiar with the region. And if you have read it, you'll know one firm in the region, an investment bank specifically, is very, very active in the security token space. And that's why my company of the week this episode goes out to Tokai Tokyo Financial. So in partnership with Tosei, which is a real estate firm with 102 properties, Tokai Tokyo announced last week that they will be tokenizing rent-produced real estate as uh, uh, early as August with, uh, with Tosai, the first of which is supposed to be a commercial building in Tokyo valued at over a billion yen. The entire Tosei portfolio is set to bring in around 25 million in US dollars in annual rental revenue, and the deals are expected to be listed on iStocks. So point being, Kyle, here that this deal screams institutional and is definitely a pioneering deal in the region. And for all those reasons, Tokai Tokyo, that's T-O-K-A-I, followed by Tokyo's two separate words, they are my company of the week. That's awesome. Shout out to Japan and Tokai Tokyo for moving forward. Love the real estate angle. It's been a proven model. It's one in high demand. And the rental income properties certainly have been a great way to, I think, diversify that risk by generating capital up front. Fantastic and, and exciting that August, that's only a month away. Looking forward to that deal for sure, and many more, it seems like, to come from Tokai and Tosei. So my company of the week this week is our second-time company of the week two-time winner, and that goes to Tokeny. So following on the heels of their exciting announcement that Herwig, you actually covered for our audience regarding their exclusive partnership with the jurisdiction of Monaco as the sole issuance platform for the country, Tokeny also announced this week that they've conducted a smart contract audit fully of their T-Rex protocol, which is their issuance protocol that they leverage on the blockchain by well-known cybersecurity firm Kasperky. And have, they've confirmed that with the firm that they have passed their full audit of the smart contract. 
And this deserves my company of the week because I believe that it's crucial for any smart contract issuer at any stage of the financial life cycle to audit and confirm all code that they deploy onto the blockchain. There's no need to hide from the difficulty. We should be striving to work together to iron out any of these kinks and prevent any large scale issues in the financial system. Especially because all of these things are reversible that you don't want to have to make a mistake in the blockchain and then roll it back and then readjust them. There's a whole lot of issues and forks and things that happen there. Why not just try to get it done right and make sure that you're auditing and constantly improving the code to prevent any large scale issues. It's also crucial for interoperability between different firms and different jurisdictions. You need to be able to trust the data on the blockchain and the only way that you can fully trust all the data on the blockchain is by working with the financial regulators and the financial data providers as well as making sure that your smart contract code is up to date. So for those reasons and more, I think Tokeny is very much deserving of my company of the week this week and I really look forward to seeing and reviewing everything that this company has to offer moving forward. So congratulations to Tokeny for all of their awesome work. That's a, an awesome win. You know, as you pointed out, they already won it last year. I expected them to win it again this year without a doubt as, as one of uh, the leading tokenization providers in Europe. They're, they're backed by the, the Euronext platform as well. So they're, they're really making moves. So it's a, a great win for them. And as you pointed out, it is just because we're working with securities tokens doesn't mean that you can neglect doing a smart contract audit. You need to know that everything is going to work and that there are ways potentially for outsiders to create problems on your protocol. So great, great moves is once again representing best practices uh, and for leading that way. I think it's a natural choice by you, Kyle, for Tokeny to be nominated again, this time for the second time around. It's company of the week here on the show. Congratulations to Token. It's a big honor to get it twice. It's only the second time we've seen that. We'll see what other firms are going to nip at their heels to try to also get their second nomination. So let's jump on in with the news and see who else has been making moves but didn't quite get to the, to the stage there. Uh, but before I do, I do want to remind, especially our new listeners, that all of the articles that Kyle and I discuss on the show, they're sourced from stomarket.com slash news. And they're also, by the way, they are available for reference in the about description of the podcast itself or also directly on the Security Token Show Medium blog. Uh, and so kicking things off, we're actually going to stay in the region of, uh, we're going to go into to Monaco where, where Tokeny also, by the way, recently was selected the exclusive tokenization provider for the region. And that's because uh, as we had reported on the show a couple of weeks ago, they now have launched a new STO framework. And a, and a recent article on Cointelegraph actually breaks that down and criticizes the, the framework itself. So... Uh, let's just jump right into actually what they're talking about. And the message really is that Monaco has STO rules that work, but it is far from a fully fledged set of rules that could scale their security token ecosystem. So let's go over the good. Well, security tokens are defined and defined as what you would expect actually, a digital version of a tra traditional security, right? AKA something with investor rights like voting and profit. That's a good start. It's a good start. It's what we've, we've been encouraging on the show for everybody else to do, but let's go into the bad. Hmm. The STO fundraising exemption in Monaco is limited to incorporated companies and is not flexible enough yet, at least, to offer SPVs, special purpose vehicles, to enable low cost registration in the company for outside businesses. And additionally, there is no way to reach investors globally, like with the Reg S exemption in the United States or by having a filed prospectus in Europe. 
So therefore, sort of these new STO rules in Monaco are, are a step forward, of course, in the right direction because they enable local private companies a new way to raise money in the region. But it doesn't go far enough to cater to Monaco becoming a hotspot for security tokens and one uh, you know, you know, makes it more of one of the less competitive options for companies launching an STO in Europe overall. Uh, you know, so we'll see if these rules change over time as a result, or if we see a thriving local Monaco security token ecosystem rise anyway. You know, which I should mention that they do plan a secondary exchange wow. in the future as well. Yeah. So just for clarity, this is pretty much just allowing for local security token offerings with local Monaco investors for local Monaco businesses, but there's no outside investors that can join in. Well summarized. Cool. Next up, we have reports of two major U.S. blockchain companies considering a public listing. That's right, a traditional IPO. So the two firm in question are, are BlockFi and Coinbase. So we'll start with the bigger one, Coinbase, which to date has raised, by the way, over half a billion dollars in venture capital. They do over a billion in revenue, and they will be the first major cryptocurrency exchange to become publicly traded in the US. So this one is definitely circulating the news rounds, you know, without actually even being official news yet. And that likely means we can expect something within the year around this. I'm, I'm particularly curious on whether they actually will end up direct listing or using the traditional investment banks in, in order to list. And, and furthermore, I think it will legitimize the crypto industry uh, with SEC regulators now being forced to take this seriously as retail investors buy into Coinbase, not just the coins on it. And BlockFi has been growing like crazy as well. The company has over 100 million in venture capital behind it, with the firm claiming now that it's growing 25% month over month, with their revenue doubling since the Bitcoin halving, putting them on track for $50 million in revenue this year. So the company last week reportedly is hiring a CFO in consideration of a potential 2021 IPO scenario. So that's two big US crypto companies looking to go public, showing you really again that the blockchain industry is starting to grow up. This, this is really exciting to see both these companies potentially hitting public markets. I mean, there's not really many institutional ways to invest in Bitcoin or crypto or in the blockchain industry as a whole. And this is definitely one of the best ways to do it in terms of having a listed equity that funds and, and all kinds of trusts can actually be able to participate in from the local local markets. It also is going to be helpful because it'll push forward the regulation, as you said, Herwig, and maybe even drive some interest around that Bitcoin ETF that has continued to be rumored over time that the SEC has continuously shut down. Maybe this kind of gives the momentum that's needed. And then finally, I wish they did a security token offering. Obviously, the IPO, I get it, it's an institutional level thing. But in the future, we may see companies like this do security token offerings for their equity, which would drive tremendous value to our industry as well. One, one can only hope, right? And moving on, the, the CFTC and the SEC were busy last week when they put down the law on Abra, which is an app that enabled users to bet on price movements of U.S. listed equity securities. So the app and developers had to pay $150,000 fine and cease activities for violating federal securities law provisions concerning unregistered offers and sales of security-based swaps without requiring that certain swaps transactions occur on a registered national exchange. So I specifically find this, this quote uh, here interesting from the SEC officers. They said, quote, businesses that structure and affect security-based swaps may not evade the federal securities laws merely by transacting primarily with non-US retail investors 
and setting up a foreign entity to act as a counterparty while conducting crucial parts of their business in the United States. So simply put, listeners, you cannot get around the U.S. regulators by simply being based outside of the U.S. If you live in the U.S., conduct business in the U.S., or allow U.S. citizens to participate, you meet, you must absolutely follow U.S. laws and regulations. Telegram just recently was a much, much bigger example of this. There is really no escaping their perfume people. And over in London, something interesting happened to crypto as well. The London Stock Exchange assigned 169 different cryptocurrencies CDAL numbers. So CDAL is the custom-made equivalent of a QSIP or an ISIN number, which helps exchanges track assets from execution to settlement by assigning them unique numbers that identify them in trading transactions. So this is a, you know, a critical step in making sure that national regulated exchanges can support your security, regardless of whether it is a token, by the way. The CDAL system is the London Stock Exchange Group's way of numbering and tracking securities across their platform, which includes the LSE, as well as many other exchanges, including Italy's largest. So yet another step here, Kyle, where we see the institu institutionalization of cryptocurrencies. And over back in Japan, the leading industry association for security tokens, the Japan Security Token Offering Association, or the JSTOA, which has over 30 members, by the way, including Rakuten, SBI, Monex, Daiwa, and Nomura, now officially has its first non-Japanese member, a company with the name of Magic Circle. So Magic Circle is a global tech and consultant company headquartered in Hong Kong with offices in Beijing, Tokyo, and New York. So it specializes in consulting services regarding security token offerings, and it looks more and more like international participants are now entering the Japanese security token market. And as I said earlier uh, with my piece on Tokai Tokyo, this is a country to watch people. And moving into company announcements, we're kicking off with a strategic alliance between Tokenize and MassX. So Tokenize, as some of you may know, is a tokenization provider and exchange based out of Gibraltar. And Mass Capital Universal Exchange, aka MassX, is a global XTO, STO exchange that says it is a building a decentralized exchange to trade securities, commodities, forex, and digital assets on a single or universal trading platform. So it's worth noting also, by the way, folks, that MassX is based out of Anguilla, but has the licenses to trade in Taiwan and Vietnam. So lead investors, Gawa Holdings, which is a conglomerate based in the UAE, is supposedly the one who tied the knot between the two firms, saying in the press release, quote, we arranged this alliance between Tokenize, which holds a regulated stock exchange license and broker's license in the Western Hemisphere, and MassX, with prominence in the Asian STO exchange market, to offer issuers a choice of exchanges most suitable for them. Bridging the strengths of each of these exchanges will provide unparalleled access to the global STO exchange market to issuers while propelling the long-term growth prospects for both entities. So I'd say exciting stuff when you see global capital markets like this being brought together. Let's see where this new partnership leads, presumably to some STO listing announcements hopefully soon. And a new product announcement came out from Custodian Copper last week. The company raised $8 million in a Series A in February this year and now have launched a new product called Catalyst. And what Catalyst does is 
issue AMCs or actively managed certificates that represent specific cryptocurrency interests. So think of them like mini ETFs. Those are exchange traded funds that represent specific cryptocurrencies. Specifically, it is akin to an ETF because it, each AMC will have an ISIN. That's that numbering system we mentioned earlier in the episode meaning that the AMCs can be liquidated immediately on many European exchanges. So the idea behind Catalyst is to make it dead simple for institutions to invest in crypto, cryptocurrencies by creating an institutional financial instrument with the AMC that has none of the crypto hassle and the custody and things like that. I actually say that's pretty cool stuff. Uh, I think we're going to see a trend in, in cryptocurrencies continuously being institutionalized in, in ways like this more frequently now. And the last company announcement I have for you today is Zillica and Binance, which announced last week that they will be bringing the Binance US dollar denominated stablecoin, aka the BUSD, which is managed by Paxos Trust here in the US also. And they're going to bring that BUSD to the Zillica Enterprise blockchain. And they intend to do that by working with Switchio to form an administrative consortium to manage all ZRC2 BUSD contracts on the Switchio decentralized exchange, enabling liquidity and support for the BUSD token on the Zillica blockchain. So the rise and spread of stable coins is clearly here and competition appears to be heating up now. And the last company announcement also actually to, to, to sneak in here also is actually Cube Exchange doing another stablecoin launch, uh, this, this time with a Diamondback stablecoin. That's the first I've heard of this. The DBK Diamond stablecoin comes from a firm called the Diamond Block Group, and they're said to be focused on creating real-world inclusionary financial payment and reward solutions that seek to bridge the divide between traditional systems and decentralized ledger technology. So put it simply, the way it works is there's a DBK trust model where the group has partnered with several top-tier companies that give the DB coin users a level of trust, insurance, security, safety, and transparency, at least according to their press release. And so that does seem to be the case though, given that some of the Diamondback partners include the Gemological Institute of America, the Rappaport Group, Winchester Global Trust, Lloyds of London, and Brinks Global Services topped off with Price Waterhouse Coopers. So, you know, I think there's probably a, a definitely a level of guarantee that you can find behind the diamond supply and the stable coin. Uh, and more stable coins now is what I'm seeing are being tied to commodities. So there are more and more I expect will continue to launch this year as well. Hmm. And moving into the op-ed and resources section where I share with you the opinions and guides that come out that I think are worth reading. The first being an article by Victor Zhang on Cointelegraph about tokenization and the gaming industry. So he highlights the use of non-fungible tokens, how security tokens will enable investment into video game publishers and the like, and even touches on how casinos leverage cryptocurrencies. So give it a read if you love tokenization and gaming. Next up, the India Blockchain Forum released an article covering real estate tokenization in India and how it's the next big thing. So apart from highlighting, of course, the usual disruptive benefits of tokenization for real estate, the article also reveals that a 1 million square foot property called the Cyberwalk will soon be tokenized on the Digibyte blockchain by EGW Capital, which is a blockchain investment bank in Virginia, no less. So we'll be on the lookout for news on this offering from Kyle when it eventually comes out. But all, the article does go further into opportunities in India. So this article is for those of you who are interested in real estate tokenization in the country. And last but not least, 
Artem Tokachev, the founder and CEO of Tokenomica, released an article on Cointelegraph titled STO, What Happened with the So-Called Next Big Thing in Fintech? Now, Tokenomica is an issuance platform, so I definitely think it's insightful despite being a little bit of a dim article. Ultimately, Artem highlights the lack of liquidity as a you know the major issue uh, for the space, despite it being the primary value proposition and, and you know, cites many uh, lack of, I guess, many successful STOs as the issue, which leads him to conclude that STOs won't be successful anytime soon, despite hopefully sometime in the future that they could. You know, I'd countered him saying that STO activity is thriving around the world. Maybe he's just not not as, as aware of, of the, the world outside of Europe, I think, where they're based. And, you know, I have to see from our show that we see Exchange Solutions coming out and announcing themselves almost every week. So I, I don't think anyone ever thought that this would disrupt the financial industry overnight. FinTech typically takes 10 year longer than most innovation to apply. But ultimately, the value proposition is already starting to come full circle for security tokens. So personally, I'd say I'm a little more optimistic than this article. Check it out if you're interested and see how it compares to your views. And that's all the industry news I have for you this week. Clearly, we're continuing to see more and more great innovation and progress. I hope you all agree. And with that, Kyle, why don't you tell us about some of the upcoming industry virtual events? Absolutely. We have two this week, and both are unfortunately not new events. We covered them last week or in the weeks prior. But we do have Rebooting Venture Capitalism in a post-COVID-19 world where you can learn how emerging VC funds are increasing access to capital and liquidity by digitizing tangible assets with blockchain technology. Discover how the tokenization of tangible assets is transforming the way that investors are allocating funds to VC by correlating their investments to a liquid asset playing the role of secured collateral. So that's hosted by Soya Capital on Thursday, July 16th at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It's going to go for an hour and a half, July 16th. That's this Thursday. Additionally, we have Singapore Blockchain Week, July 21st to 23rd. Yes, people, it is next week. You can finally stop hearing me talk about it. I have been, been, been talking about it for a month or so because it has consistently been a pretty big event in the blockchain space each year. Because Singapore hosts a blockchain virtual event. This time again, it is virtual because of COVID. And it's supported by the government in Singapore as well as other agencies. And that is July 21st to 23rd. And so that's hosted by the Blockchain Association of Singapore and co-organized by NextChange Group. And it's going to cover a lot of different blockchain stuff, but it does have its own section on security tokens and asset tokenization, specifically on tackling the challenges of security token issuance and distribution. This is a $25 registration fee to attend, and it's a three-day event. So definitely check that out if you're interested in learning a little bit more about Asian adoption of security tokens. If you know about other virtual events, listeners, please reach out to us. Let us know about them. We'll, we'll get the word out. Uh, we know that there are many more uh, usually that we just miss the mark on. So reach Absolutely. out to us, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, we'll, we'll get it on the show. Or don't forget, you can just submit it to stomarket.com slash news and just post the, the link to your event through Eventbrite or whatever and, and upload it there. So that's obviously the best way to do it is just to submit it. You know it's going to be covered and you don't have to hear from us specifically or, or hear a response because uh, we do get hit up a lot. Moving into the STO updates, we have a couple updates. The first one, B 
being from real estate crowdfunding platform ClickOwn, who completed their first security token offering in partnership with Bitbomb. And so this is great news coming from Germany. ClickOwn is the, the fundraising and issuance platform, and they have successfully fundraised for an, a property that we covered on episode 34 called the Historical Lüneburg property. And this is a, a historical site that also has some residential properties attached to it. And so they fundraised 1.5 million euros for a fixed income three-year instrument offering a 5% semi-annual interest payments. So this is straight up standard as all you can get for the financial instrument. It's just using a security token backed by real estate. And so the minimum investment is actually just 10 euros, providing or proving the real value of the blockchain-based securitization by allowing for much wider investor access than what you could ever see from anything else. And so this is a 10 euro, 5% semi-annual interest bond payment. I mean, that's, that's not bad. ClickOwn worked with Bitbond for the issuance, and my company of the week was Bank Von Der Haight in episode 31, who is doing the custody for this deal. And so they are issuing KHL tokens, I guess standing for ClickOwn Historical Lüneburg. And these tokens have been distributed to investors on July 1st for the fixed income instrument for three years. So it was issued on July 1st, 2020. It will conclude, presumably, on July 1st, 2023. According to the Crowdfunder Insider in, or Crowdfund Insider article that I found here, they also are currently trading on a stellar decentralized exchange, but I haven't really been able to find which one or, or where that's listed. I, I did my research and wasn't able to quite find it, so I'm going to reach out and I will get that data. You better believe it as soon as I can. We also have updates from, or we have a new security token offering actually from uh, Vogman. And so this is European shipping company Vogman who has announced their own security token offering. And so the Vogman green ship tokens are tokenized profit participation rights with a fixed annual return. So it's a fixed return with then, I guess, some kind of commission or profit sharing on top. And the capital that they're raising, they're raising 50 million USDs in total for the hard cap is actually going towards buying cargo ships to scale the company's shipping operations. And so the tokenized participation rights grant contractual, contractual creditor rights and explicitly don't give shareholder rights, which essentially means that the security token offering will be treated as a debt instrument in the eyes of the law. And that's actually very valuable because debt instruments have the first liquidation preference when you're talking about a business going, out of, going bankrupt. So when it goes bankrupt, they sell all the assets, which is the book value of the business, and they redeem that book value, and it first goes to the creditors as debtors, and then it gets transferred to shareholders. So this security token offering actually has liquidation preference over equity holders, which is a nice protection to have. It's issued on the Ethereum blockchain and was issued with IVE1, I-V-E dot O-N-E, IVE1, based out of Frankfurt, Germany. And so I have a couple terms here from the article, the 50 million fundraised in US dollars, as I mentioned, that has an 8% minimum return. So an annual return of 8% is great on its own, but then it adds profit sharing of 50-50 between investors and the issuers, providing that they actually make profits. So you get 50% of the profits of the scale of this operation on top of your 8% interest. Minimum investment is 1,000 US dollars with a 2% premium and a duration of up to 15 years on this debt offering profit sharing coupon. So it's a variable coupon uh, bond of 15 year maturity with a $1,000 face value if you wanna look at it that way. So very interesting stuff here. A, uh, 50 million certainly is a lot of money. It's very ambitious, but I, I wasn't able to find if there was maybe a soft cap. Maybe they'll, they'll soft cap it at a certain valuation or, or, or amount of fundraise and, and 
go from there regardless. We'll certainly keep you updated as that venture moves forward. And then finally, we have Cosimo X security token, which is from Cosimo Ventures, C-O-S-I-M-O Ventures, with offices in both Boston as well as Dublin. And it's an investment firm that has launched a blockchain-focused tokenized fund. So the fund announced this week that it just recently received a seven-figure investment from the Rochester Institute of Technology, a university here in the U.S., who will receive Cosimo X tokens representing direct economic interest in the fund. James Waters, who is the, the university's vice, senior vice president for finance and administration, was quoted in the press release saying, quote, As industry leaders, not only is it important for us to invest in businesses advancing cutting-edge technologies, but it is essential to adopt such technologies as a means by which we invest. We are impressed by the entrepreneurial experience and forward-thinking mindset of the Cosimo team and their innovative approach to venture investing. The team's deal flow has sourced unparalleled investment opportunities, and the fund has one of the most appealing economic structures in the market today. So pretty much, he's quoted as both investing in cutting-edge technology as well as directly saying that security tokens are one of the most appealing economic structures in the market today, which is great stuff. I'm not sure if this fund is going to be publicly available for investors, but I can confirm that they are working with issuance platform Securitize, who seems to be also working with Coinbase for custody of this token. It's also a pretty big deal because we know Coinbase currently custodies BCAP tokens, but only BCAP tokens. So this could be their second foray into the security token space and kind of an indicator that they're looking towards that fund interest as, as the, the use case that is most appealing for Coinbase as a custody agent. So all around, pretty exciting. And maybe Coinbase gets into the exchange game. Who knows? Who knows? But that's definitely impressive nonetheless to win over an, an institutional investor like an endowment fund of a university is very, very impressive. So congratulations to the Cosimo team. And it looks like there's a lot of great innovation according to your update here out of out of Europe and Germany there too. So really loving to see the, the STO activity heat up over there as well. Absolutely. Guys, definitely if you're if you're building in this space, if you represent a company that is in the blockchain or, or security token space, Cosmo Ventures is somebody that you want to start getting in touch with because it seems like they now have capital and they're looking to invest in blockchain-based businesses and they have experience with security tokens. So you don't need to really sell them on the benefits there. So if you're interested, if you're looking for capital, I think these guys are going to be a good place to reach out to. So definitely hit them up. Moving on to our market updates, we have a couple of articles. First, Security Token Market, as I mentioned, published our June 2020 market report. If you haven't checked it out, you can find it on our Medium blog, but basically we break down all the price action and volume over all of the security tokens, all 18 over the past month. And I also just wanted to give a shout out to Omar Faridi for posting his findings from the report on Crowdfund Insider. He's been super supportive of all of our research content and he deserves a massive shout out for the work that he's doing in the space and, and providing legitimacy and context. So thanks a lot, Omar. But also on top of that, he also covered Jonah Shulman's findings on the security tokens correlation to the public stock market. And Jonah found that security tokens managed to perform almost 2% better than the average of the US indices last month when compared to the security token space. So as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, the security token industry is heating up. And that's only confirmed by the data. The security token total market cap is up 39% this week, up to 250 million from last week's 180 million per week. And this is a big deal, not only because it's up 40%, that's exciting enough, but 250 million is an important number because it's our all time high market cap for security tokens. Even when T0 was trading at $10 a share, our market cap was not at 250. We have passed the total market share 
for security tokens. We are officially in our best month ever in the security token space. Very exciting stuff. Incredible. That's huge news. There's clearly no signs of stopping there. And as Omar just pointed out, last month was up 45%. Now we're almost up that same amount in just half the time. So let's see how this month closes out. What do you got for us regarding the data from last week, Kyle? T0 and Overstock paved the way again, accounting for pretty much the full 70 million market cap gain. Overstock was up 16%, but it was T0 that really drew eyes as it was up 132% in just the last seven days or five trading days if you will. T0 has over doubled in price hitting $3.49 Monday at close from $1.50 the week prior. Trading volumes of over $576,000 over the week which was almost five times the volume that it had the week before. Overstock also had about 1.5 million US dollars in trading volume over the last week as well. So we're talking about 2 million in trading volume in just the past week from T0's ATS. That's pretty crazy. Other tokens include Mount Pelerin and Protos that showed some relatively sharp declines, while real estate also posted a, a small decrease this week. But all in all, nothing too special to note here just because of the small trading volumes, not a whole lot changes. But I did want to give a shout out to Realty's first ever issued property, 9943 Marlowe Street, which has reached its one year birthday as the first property ever to be tokenized as an ERC20 token on Ethereum. And so the token issued at $63.75 at their primary sale, and it is now trading at $68.82, which is about a 7.95% equity return on top of the 12.34% dividend return which totals about 20.3% in total returns for this asset over the, tw the past 12 months, which is absolutely incredible. Wow, Kyle, that is awesome. That buys you a lot of cake to celebrate. So that <laughs> congratulations to Realty on their birthday with their first issuance there. I know there are many more that are about to hit the same mark. Great stuff. Fantastic stuff from Realty. And it's exciting because we've mentioned before, real estate was one of those use cases that everyone knew was coming when the idea of security tokens were still being theorized. That was like the first use case that everybody saw potentially coming to fruition. And it's exciting to see that now we have a full year of it trading under our belts. And it's, it's really, really shown that same value paying off in reality. And we can only learn that from you, Kyle. So thank you as always for putting these thorough market reports together for the show. You know, from what I'm hearing also, it seems to be that Overstock really is bringing momentum to the T0 platform, which in turn, of course, correlates to the T0 token, something, you know, you've been saying on the show for months and logically because its success is tied to T0 trading volume. But given that they aren't the only tokens on the market, and since we talk on the show a lot about these different prices and valuations, I think it's time we tell our listeners how to read beyond the token trading data. You know, price discovery is crucial for investors and they must use any financial metrics they can in order to determine an asset's value. So today, maybe we figured it would be a great idea to break down a particularly relevant metric for valuing funds, the NAV value, right? So Kyle, why don't we pretend our listeners here have no clue about what this metric is or what it means to them. Maybe you can explain to them here, what is an NAV and how is it calculated? Yeah, definitely. This is an exciting topic. So a funds NAV value or NAV is a standard way to calculate the book value of a fund. Now NAV stands for net asset value, and that's calculated by adding up a firm's assets and then removing its liabilities. 
In a traditional fund, we'd usually stop the calculation there, but with a tokenized fund, it's then standard to divide the total NAV by the outstanding shares so that the NAV is represented on a per share basis. We can then use the total NAV as well as the NAV per share value and compare them with the market cap and share price values of a token so that on the secondary market to be able to determine a justification for whether the asset is undervalued, overvalued, or priced fairly. Okay, okay. So as an example, the Blockchain Capital Liquid Venture Fund, which I think is their third one, they, they raised 20% of its fund through the BCAP token in 2017. And since this token is backed by the investment fund, each BCAP token legally owns one share of the portfolio that this Liquid Venture Fund invests with. So the fund itself calculates its value by totaling the valuation of all the assets in the portfolio, which consists, by the way, of equity and startups like Kraken, Ripple, Circle, Coinbase, which may give them a liquidity event very soon, Securitize, and many others. And so they all have a small crypto, by the way, portfolio from 2017 as well. So in theory, as the valuations of these companies in that portfolio increases, so does the fund's net assets, and therefore, so does the NAV, right? So in BCAP's case, the firm announced a Q2 NAV of $4.47, up 25% from Q1, signaling that companies in their portfolio have been successful, whether they register that through higher valuation financing rounds or through acquisitions and things like that. So the NAV represents the net assets of a fund, including equities, crypto, and cash on hand. Right, but the NAV is really about as far as you can go for calculating a private fund's assets. It can be used to represent one of my favorite metrics for price discovery known as book value, which strives to value any asset, private or public, by first calculating the underlying value of what they own. By stripping out the marketing, hype, and the future projections, we try to essentially even the playing field by just looking at the present value of the assets it owns right now. The goal here is to try to determine what you could sell the whole thing for at this very moment in the event of a liquidation where you kind of need to fire sale it for just what the value is right now. By determining this number, we essentially create a price floor for the asset, which what we can then use to determine what the current price is and, and where it stands. Popularized by legendary investors like Ben Graham or Warren Buffett, as long as we're confident in our book value calculation, it becomes very easy to determine if a company's undervalued, at which time Buffett would jump in to capitalize. In this way, you can make a strong argument that the NAV represents the book value of a fund. Without having access to detailed information about the individual portfolio companies, we do have to assume that each current valuation is from the open market and is a fair market valuation for each firm. From there, we can conclude that the NAV does in fact represent the book value of the firm, which in this case suggests that BCAP's price floor is $4.47, as disclosed by the firm last week. With traditional venture firms, we cannot compare this NAV to the open market, like Buffett could with traditional equities. But via the secondary market dynamics of security tokens, we are afforded this luxury. BCAP tokens were last traded on Open Finance Network on July 12th, just a couple days ago, at $1.83, $1.83. Based on our previous logic, we'd conclude that BCAP is currently trading below book value because it's trading at $1.83 when we've calculated that the minimum it should be trading for would be $4.47 based on its underlying assets. From a book value perspective, it does seem to be undervalued. If we look at another fund like Spice VC, we can also see its NAV and its secondary trading pricing. So according to its website, the NAV is $1.32 compared to the share price on OFN of $0.96. Cents. 
Again, we could reasonably conclude that spice is undervalued from a book value perspective. Finally, consider Protos Asset Management, which is another crypto hedge fund that does have its token trading on open finance. Their NAV is 29 cents, which is exactly equivalent to its trading price on OFN. In this instance, we could reasonably conclude that Protos Asset Management shares are fairly valued compared to its book value. Got it, got it. So by, you know, by comparing the growth rate, essentially, of a fund's NAV on a yearly basis, you could cal calculate the needed quarterly return each month and compare it to the current growth rate. You could even apply that quarterly return on a five, seven, or even 10-year basis, right? So depending on your risk tolerance to the initial fundraise size to calculate the expected NAV value each quarter, using that as a guide to determine an asset's trend. So when doing any of these calculations, it is important to remember, especially if you're talking about early stage inve investments, especially with VC funds, much of the value accrues at a later stage of the fund. So it is not uncommon that five years into an investment, an investor may not see much traction or growth. It's not necessarily a, a direct line, but then you know it's more of a, a hockey stick growth, realizing amazing returns in the later life cycle of a business or a fund. This makes investing in funds much, much more of a different mindset when you compare to the equity strategies that Kyle is referring to from Buffett and Graham. This isn't the only metric, though, used for determining the, the true value of a fund, right? So aside from considering its net asset value there and measuring the difference in that and its market cap, another perspective is to view a fund's value from a return perspective, so the ROI. Venture capital funds pitch varying target returns to investors. These targets typically include three times net of fees at maturity or an average of 15% IRR over the life of the fund. So IRR stands for internal rate of return and basically describes what annual growth you could expect on your initial investment. Investors use these targets and compare it to various growth rates and metrics that they measure to to determine additional theories around the current valuation of a venture portfolio and whether it is properly valued or you know, at a discount or, or is it a strong sell. So based on our book value calculations, we can then make our own conclusions on the price of an asset and its future performance. Again, you can also use that with the IRR calculation. We also have to acknowledge the flaws in our own calculations while being mindful of price factors we haven't considered. Any of these calculations, we are, you have to recognize that we're blind to some things that may affect the price. When considering our own book value calculation, there could be other factors such as overly inflated equity valuations or misrepresentations of a portfolio company's assets that when combined with future factors such as a reduced investor interest level, economic cooldowns, corporate tax changes, or other things that could affect the future valuations and it would change the company's value and book value to the portfolio, resulting in a lower NAV than what was reported. Additionally, remember that there are many factors that contribute to an asset's price and book value is not the only thing to consider, as you mentioned earlier. Tech issues surrounding the issuance of tokens at scale, regulatory complaints, liquidity concerns, and public opinion around security tokens are just a few factors that will affect the price of an asset and its viability as a long-term investment. And some of that can explain why tokens may be trading at a discount inherently over what the traditional book value is, right? If you have risks associated with it being a security token, then those risks would need to be applied to the NAV. That would be considered a liability. You would do assets minus the new liabilities to calculate your new NAV. But you can consider shares of overstocks, digital 
uh, overstocked digital shares, excuse me, on T0, which are literally the exact same shares as the ones traded on NASDAQ, but they're currently trading at a 35% discount. If we could exchange these shares as a one-to-one -one swap somewhere, this would be considered an arbitrage opportunity where one could buy shares of OSTKO, the digital shares on T0, and then trade them in for NASDAQ shares of OSTK and then sell the OSTK at a 35% premium risk-free. And that's exactly why they actually don't let you do this if you were wondering. If you could, immediately all the security tokens would be purchased and converted, leaving none on T0 and no interest to convert them the other way around, considering you'd actually have to pay for the transfer in addition to, the, to getting less liquidity and more risk. So we can conclude from that that the security token aspect definitely has an impact on the price here, whether you know it's through liquidity or other risks associated with security tokens. In this case, it would be a 35% liquidity premium. However, this mindset may quickly shift in the future. We believe it will. Security tokens allow for global investment, right? So as adoption continues around the world, more and more investors may prefer this investment vehicle as a uniform option across all of their assets, irrespective of industry or jurisdiction. Everything will be tokenized, right? So in this case, launching a security token opens up capital markets from investors all around the world, not just your home country. And as a result, could create more liquidity than say what the NASDAQ could, eventually creating a liquidity premium on NASDAQ traded paper shares that represent exactly the same investor rights as their digital, digitally shared you know, T0 counterpart. While it is not the case today, of course, for publicly, you know, public equity markets, uh, and especially not for a while, we certainly think that this will be the case when compared to fully liquid markets like venture capital funds. And this may quickly become the preferred method with investors willing to pay more just for the early liquidation opportunities alone. Great point, Herwig. I could totally see an investor in an illiquid asset class offering to pay a few percent more for the future liquidity options that aren't afforded to analog asset investors. Consider it no different than a convertible bond offered by a corporation or insurance purchased by an asset owner. You're buying an additional right or additional protection for your asset and therefore have to pay a premium for that additional protection. Hopefully this helped you understand what a NAV value is and what their role is in determining the price discovery and evaluating the prices on the secondary market. If you enjoy and have feedback or want to recommend a future topic, as we said, please reach out to us via Twitter or LinkedIn. And you can also leave a comment on our YouTube channel or participate in the discussion on stlmarket.com news. Additionally, we do post the main topic of each podcast as its own separate video on YouTube, allowing you to quickly catch up on just the main topic we discuss each week. All 50 plus episodes are now posted in both their long and short format. So feel free to watch any of the other main topics we've covered that you may have missed or share specific topics with other interested friends, colleagues, or investors that you may have in your network. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. Hope to catch you.